Hey, Zach. Hello, Jack. How's it going, man? It's going all right. How How's the car? The car's good. Uh, I'm parked on Amsterdam Avenue in Manhattan uh, so that I don't get a ticket while, you know, the street that I'm mainly parked on gets cleaned. So uh, enjoying some nice people watching, car watching, uh, but mainly just excited to talk about a hand with you. Cool. Let's talk. All right. So, yeah, this is a, a hand from the Jack uh, 1-3 again. And so I played this uh, this past Wednesday, which was the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. Um, and if anyone, if anyone listened to the bonus episode that I did uh, talking a little bit about that session, then you might be familiar but basically, uh, the Republican National Convention killed the games in Cleveland, except on Wednesday, because there's a high hand promotion. And so all the regs decided to figure out, you know, how to get downtown and where to park so that they could have a chance to, you know, hit the thousand dollar high hand, uh, which was great for me. Uh, so, yeah, this was probably about seven hours into that session at the second table. And it was a really interesting table dynamic because one side of the table, uh, there were four larger stacks, uh, all sort of around $800, uh, including myself. And so the other three large stacks were all directly to my right. Uh, and then the other side of the table was all very short. Uh, some people, two people were playing like $40 stacks and then a couple hundred dollar stacks. And then I guess maybe one guy had like a full buy-in, but... Basically, my most of my strategy was centered around like getting involved with the big stacks on my right for a couple reasons. One, because uh, that's where the most money was, and also these guys were playing like almost like so many hands. It was unbelievable. It was such a great table. Uh, cool. Yeah, sounds like a great table. <laughs> okay, so in this specific hand, uh, I'm in the big blind with. 5-6 offsuit. And so one of the newer players at the table, he's, he's been there for a couple of orbits, uh, sort of a bigger guy, well-dressed, immaculate beard, probably around 30. And he opens to 7 under the gun. And this is pretty typical sizing for him. He's sort of like a mix of rays and limps. But he's... He's doing that both with like a pretty wide range. I'm not exactly sure where the raise is starting the limp stop, but he's probably V pipping like forty percent. Okay. And playing pretty passively, uh, post flop. And he's I don't know if I mentioned this, he he has a hundred dollars. Okay. Cool. Uh this is second buy in for a hundred dollars. And that's the minimum buy in for all of our listeners. Yeah. Okay, so one of the other short stacks calls, uh, not like the $40 stacks, but another one of the smaller stacks, like an old, older guy who like I haven't seen do very much. Uh, and then two of the large stacks, including the, the stickiest, uh, loosest, passivist, pa- <laughs> most passive of, of all of them. Wow, that much time out of school, man. You're already regressing. So... It's five to me to complete, uh, and I did just because. 
How many other people are in I, the hand? There are four. Okay, I'm not, I'm not yeah. What, and what are their stack sizes? I don't think you mentioned that. No, okay, so there's the preflop raiser is about 100. Yeah. There's an older guy with probably over 100, uh, but less than 200, who calls and has never really been a factor in any pot that I've seen. And then two stacks of probably about $800 call. Okay. And I also have about $800. Yeah, so I think that that's the key. I think if it's just like the first two players or even, yeah, maybe three players it's becoming, it maybe becomes a call. But like if just those two players are in the pot, I'm definitely folding. But when you have the two $800 stacks and, you know, you're that deep, uh, while this is the bottom of my range, I think this is a slam dunk complete. Uh, your implied odds when you have a, a straight or top two or something are just so large. Yeah, that's that's my thought exactly. I mean, I'm definitely not completing if it's just the small stacks. Uh, and I'm also... I think it's a very clear complete with 5-6 offsuit. With 5-6 suited, I'd consider a squeeze. But as I said, actually, in the bonus episode, like I think squeezing at this table has proven to be pretty ineffective just because the two large decks are sort of always calling so I, i'm pretty much squeezing with like a merged range exactly um, yeah yeah there's no no polarized range from the three th- from the blinds three betting uh with this type of dynamic yeah so so i'm just calling hoping to hit the lottery and you know win a big pot from you know one of these really sticky players with a big stack uh so Flop comes ten four three rainbow, so I've got an open ended. I check. Do you think there's a case for leading here? I I don't. No, I mean like yeah. I I think when you're in a have like a stronger draw, uh, and especially if you're in a less multi away pot, I think that's when you can make the case for donking. But with a weak draw like this, um, you know, a non combo draw. I think it's a it's a very clear check check call basically any bet especially if you know there's likely going to be at least um two people that put in money before it gets to you uh and then you know if it's just one bet or if there's a raise then I would you know evaluate Mhm Yeah I agree Okay so the preflop raiser uh Bets 15 into 35. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when he does this, I, I definitely don't think he's ever bluffing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the majority of the time he has top pair. It's, I can't say for certain that he doesn't have a larger, like an overpair. But I, I think that given the sizing 15, it's pretty small. The preflop raise size, which like, I have no reason to think that it's he's always raising to seven. So, so yeah, so you, so you're putting him on a, val, a value range, but a relatively like middling middling range. I I agree with that. Uh, for the you yeah, know. I think that there's a lot of tens in this spot. Is my hunch. Okay, so and the problem with this is you know he doesn't have 800 behind or even 300. He has 100 behind. And I think trying to bluff someone off top pair with 33 big blinds is not a winning proposition for 1-3. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, did, so did anyone else call? Yeah, so the, the sort of stickiest uh, player 
So one of the 800 ally stacks called, and the other two players folded. So I thought it was a pretty clear call. I yeah. Don't think that I have any fold equity against top hair plus. Definitely, and and I think uh, you know this is one of those spots where, I you know to both of our students, we always advocate playing draws aggressively, uh, and usually considering playing draws aggressively where they might not have thought that. But I think this is a clear example where we're playing our draws, you know, purely for implied odds, uh, because. To make a semi-bluff profitable, you have to have fold equity. And there are, you know, I don't think it's a majority of cases, but a non-insignificant amount of cases, you know, especially at like a 1-2 or 1-3 game, where that fold equity just doesn't exist. Yeah. It's definitely overstated by many people, especially kind of like 1-3 or 1-2 regs who just say every no one ever folds. I think people are definitely missing a lot of good semi-bluff opportunities, but nonetheless, still a lot remain. I agree. I agree. Okay. So I called... Um, so our turn is an ace, uh, that brings in a backdoor flush draw. Okay. I check. I still don't think there's much of a reason to lead. Yeah, again, yeah, we're not, we're not trying to bluff these people off the, the relatively strong ranges, especially in relation to their stack sizes. I was, you know, speaking primarily to the first player. Right. Okay, so the that player now bets 20. And to me, this is like almost always a bad bet with a 10 or maybe a jacks or something. Yeah, yeah. So so what happens? What's the player behind do? He folds. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if they have 300 behind, I think I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to go for the fold equity here. Well, actually, I would have gone for the fold equity on the flop. I probably wouldn't be getting here like this, but yeah, I think I think you have the implied odds, and I th- do you you might even have direct odds to call here, or close. I think you probably have close to direct odds to call, so I think you just got to call because this is one of those situations where you know you raise, and he's like, "Oh no, you must have me beat. You must have me beat." But I call, so yeah, I don't I don't see a point in, in trying to raise him off his his likely ten. Yeah. Uh... Well, I tried to raise him off his 10, thinking that this, you know, someone who's buying in for the minimum and sort of betting small isn't going to want to call off with a 10 here. Uh, I don't think I have that many aces in my range, but I do think I'm playing them all like this. Uh, and I don't know if he'll realize that. So I, I went for it. Uh, and he called off with queen 10... I think, I mean, I think I do like calling in retrospect. I mean, obviously against this player, definitely calling is better. I think part of the, you know, part of the, part of it is definitely like that I have direct odds in this spot. Uh, and I also think my implied odds, you know, are very good. You know, I do, if I have enough fold equity, then, you know, it definitely becomes better to bluff here. But I, I, I guess I just I agree that I don't think I have quite enough fold equity. I mean, I, I think you have basically none. You know, I, I don't I, think that's I don't think that's true. I mean, so how I mean, much after he after he bets tw- after he bets twenty and only has forty five behind? I don't no, know. No, I, he has more than forty five. He has like almost sixty. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. So uh, sixty-five behind. Uh, so a little bit less than sixty. It was a little bit less than sixty dollars. Oh yeah. Sorry. Twenty and thirty-five. I could do math. Uh, yeah. I just think when someone's on their last fifty-five dollars, was the preflop raiser and bet twice, even if a weekly. In my experience, I would never expect them to fold any of their range here. I know that sounds like a strong statement, but I, I think when someone has this little behind, and especially because they're on their second buy-in, uh, you know, I, I just have never seen uh, someone, you know, fold in the spot before. I think maybe it's possible that players like that exist, but, and you know, I haven't been playing live poker for forever, but in my limited experience, I would never expect a, a fold well, here. I'm just. I mean. I, I I understand like why theoretically someone who's on their second buy-in who's betting weekly even if they're getting decent odds and the bet doesn't make sense why they might fold but I'm I guess my question is have you ever seen someone in a similar spot fold here? Yeah, I mean, I I don't like have you know my bank of like all my poker memories like readily available like that, but I I personally don't. I think I agree with what you're saying here. I mean, I think there's probably a large pool of players that are unable to fold, which is, you know, a, a bigger part of why these games are very good than people overfolding in these spots. And I think in this particular situation, yeah, uh, it was it would be a better play to call. But I I don't I don't think I can get behind the statement that people never fold in situations like this. I think there's plenty of players uh, that could be identified that, you know, would fold a hand like this in this spot. Yeah. And it's not, it wasn't, he didn't, he also didn't, you know, insta-call, which maybe isn't a good indicator of, like, does he ever fold in this spot, but... Yeah, I don't uh, think, I don't think, you know, with the range we're assigning him, he's ever going to be insta-calling. Or, you know, unless he has, like, a, just a weirdly slow-played, like, set or something. Um, yeah. Uh, I think even though someone might be scared money when they're playing on, like, their second buying and buying in for the minimum, I think when it comes down to the decision-making process, like, post-flop, when they have a, a value hand of some sort, I think, you know, ultimately the well, I don't really know, I'm just going to call. Instinct just kind of always takes over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I could be wrong here. I would, you know, for any listeners who are have had, you know, different experiences than myself, maybe one, you know, an experience like this, like that Jack has had here, where you've gotten a fold, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear from you. I think this is something where, like, um... Yeah, I think it's just a good example of like translating like what theoretically makes sense and prescribing that onto players that just aren't thinking on that level and just kind of have this set amount where once X amount of money is in the pot or it's only X more to call and they're stuck and, you know, they, they're just they're just never folding. Uh, you know, I'll revise your statement to something that I can tolerate a little bit more uh, and maybe we can come to an agreement. Not enough players in the pool will fold in this spot to make it worth bluffing an unknown player. That's definitely true. I think I can true. agree with that statement. Yeah. I don't think I can agree with the statement that, like, one, three players never fold this spot. I, I think that's sort of an, an insane thing to say. But I mean, I, I, I don't think... 
I could say 100%, but I think, you know. Yeah, I think 90%, even 80% is probably way too ambitious uh, to say that that many of the, you know, that percentage of the pool will never fold a 10 in this spot. But I, I can never get behind this being a flat. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I disagree about the percentages, obviously, but I think, you know, the, that that argument kind of doesn't really matter because, like you identified, you know, the only statement that matters is based on, you know, the percentage, whatever it is, it's certainly not low enough that it ever makes sense to bluff an unknown in this spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he called it off with Queen-10 offsuit. Oh. Uh... And, you know, I sheepishly mucked my hand after missing the, or no, I didn't muck my hand. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't ever do no. that. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I bricked, showed basically the nut low, uh, and he won. Basically the nut low? Isn't it the nut low? Oh, no, 2-5. 2-5 would be a straight. Oh, yeah, it was a nut low. No, oh no, two, no, no. Six. two six, two six, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I could have you know, I was optimistic that maybe he you know, was calling for his gut shot, but unfortunately not. Yeah. Okay. Alright. Another week. Uh another poorly conceived bet, you know, by Jack Lasky. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. And you got to start bringing some hands in so that it's not always my mistakes that make it onto the show. I mean, I, I brought a lot more hands at the beginning. I'm in the Middle East. I don't know what you want, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess maybe the listeners uh, could send in some more hands. Those are more fun. Yeah, please send in more hands so Jack doesn't look as bad. That would be great. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right. Well, take care, man. Okay. Bye. Hey, guys. Jack here. Uh, I've got a bunch of really exciting news today. Uh, First of all, just in case you missed it last week, uh, Zach and I offered a one-hour free lesson. Uh, Now, the requirement was that you emailed us by the time this episode came out. So if you haven't done that yet, then please email us today at jack or zach uh, at justhandspoker.com. Also, uh, Zach and I are planning on starting to do some streaming of us playing on Bovada, uh, and we'll announce the details of that next week, but that'll be coming up. Uh, but most importantly and most excitingly, uh, we're ready to confirm uh, our first live event with Greg Raymer. I know we've been mentioning that for a couple of weeks now, uh, but it is officially confirmed. So here are all the details. So, so yeah, this is our first live coaching event. Uh, it's going to be this upcoming fall. It'll take place on Saturday, November 12th at the Poker on Air Studios in Akron, Ohio, uh, where we'll host a four-hour 2-5 No Limit Hold'em cash game. Uh, the game will be filmed using Poker on Air's RFID technology, and will be commentated by both Zach and I, along with World Series of Poker main event champion Greg Raymer. Uh, by signing up for the event, you'll receive uh, the participation in the cash game, a live commentary by Greg and us, uh, and a copy of that video, uh, so you'll get to see your whole cards and everything. Uh, and it'll be followed by a catered dinner at the Poker Studios with Greg, Zach, and I, and all the participants. Uh, 
So there's a $500 option where you get everything that I just mentioned and also a page that outlines your strengths and weaknesses as a player uh, and some tips from Greg and us about how to best improve your game. And there's also a $1,000 option where you get a lengthy document called a Leak Finder uh, where we'll weigh in on every hand you played, uh, including some that you folded preflop. Uh, you'll still get the page outlining your strengths and weaknesses as a player, but you'll also get a comprehensive guide with recommended resources on how to improve. For example, what that looks like, you can check out a leak finder Zach did for one of his students at our website, justhandspoker.com. You can also go there to reserve your seat, uh, and you can always email us or ask questions on the site uh, for more information. All right, that's a lot, but that's it. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. As always, feel free to write us in. We've been getting a couple more hands, so uh, expect to have some listener hands in the next couple weeks. Um, But yeah, we're always happy and excited to receive more. All right, talk to you soon. Bye.